time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test no, he's the one, yeah. Hallelujah. Let's uh let's take a moment and bow our heads and pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We thank you so much, God, for being so awesome, for being so wonderful, for being so lovely. And we come now to take this break in the week to pause and recenter ourselves, to reflect on whose we are and who we are. We are fearfully and wonderfully made in your image. We belong to you, have been bought by you, have been ransomed by you. All of who we are, we owe to you. Our very lives, our very beings are simply instruments of praise and worship unto you. And so we pause, God, to just bow down. God, for some of us in the midst of our busyness throughout the week, we have wanted things to bow down to us, things to move and contort themselves to our will and to our way and to our suitability. But God, we pause now to say that you are ultimate. You are the one who is enthroned. You are the only one who is supreme. You are preeminent. You are the one to be adored. You are the one that people should contort to. And so now we, we bow ourselves to you, God. We humble ourselves to you, God. We ask that you forgive us of all of our sins that we have committed throughout this week. We ask that you will forgive us of the sins of omission and the sins of commission, the things that we should have done that we didn't do, the things that we did do that we shouldn't have done. Lord, we just ask for your mercy. And through the symbol of Jesus Christ, we know that we have that mercy, we have that grace. And we thank you for the standing that we have. We thank you that there is therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. We thank you for that. We thank you that whom the Son has set free is indeed truly free. We thank you for that, Lord. I pray that as the preaching moment is at hand, you will preach through me to these, your people, in a way that will be impactful, real, and relevant. Help us to leave this space and this stream better than we were when we entered it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Won't you praise God for the band and for the music ministry? Amen. So we got two live, a couple of live streams going right now. One was like a just in case, like in case of emergency, break glass. So that's uh, streaming right now. Some of you are streaming on that one. There is another live already on Facebook that has been streaming from the main camera, uh, and, and it's also on YouTube. So if you are listening to me and you are streaming and your stream cuts off in like 15 seconds, it's because you're on the test stream. Uh, and so just scroll up a little bit and you'll be able to go over to the to the mainstream. So I wanted to just let y'all know that. And so I'll see y'all on the other stream. If you can't find it, we're streaming on YouTube as well. And that one is up. So we'll see y'all back in a minute. All right. Um, so just want to shout out Nissa. So Nissa is standing in for Shonette this week. Shonette's on vacation 
Anissa has been working hard all morning. I'm talking early this morning, high pressure to um, to get the stream uh, to get the stream up and running, and um, that's so important because uh, one of the things that we're also doing today is we are uh, doing doing the licensing ceremony for uh, Minister Shayla Hudson, and recognize that she has family all over the country. And wanted to make sure that we have uh, have our stream up. And so I just asked Nissa, just put all your effort and attention into that. And if we do get this up, fine. If not, we got video and everybody's able to stream in, then we're golden for this week. Awesome. Okay. Oh, you getting up up here? Too? Okay. Okay. All right, cool. So all good. Uh, so um, so y'all going to have to like take out your phones and like read your own scripture today. Look at that. Look at that. Um, so we'll be looking at Acts chapter 12. We're continuing on a series of preaching, uh, closing it out, actually, that we've been on uh, throughout the month of uh, March. Uh, the title uh, of this series is Be the Church. And what I've been endeavoring to do is just to get us to think and imagine anew regarding what it means to actually like show up as the church uh, in the 21st century. And so in order to do that, throughout the series, we've been looking back at how the early church, the first century church, understood themselves as the church. How did it manifest for them? What did they uh, feel that it meant to, uh, to be the church? And so we looked at the cooperative economics church. We looked at that uh, during the first week streaming and then the first week in, in person looked at what it looked like for them to be the cooperative economics church, right, where they were pooling together resources to meet the material needs of everybody in that church community. So that was a hallmark of how they showed up as a church. Another hallmark of how they showed up as a church we talked about last week is that they were a relational church. So last Sunday, we talked about the relational church. And we see very much that they were not simply um, content with being a part of a congregation or a crowd, but they were community, right? Meaning that they were in each other's lives, that their manifestation of church was not simply aligning themselves in pews, but it was aligning themselves around tables. It was in living room. It was in living rooms. It was in homes. It was connecting with each other, showing up for each other that way. And so the push was for us to move beyond this concept of just being a part of the crowd, being a part of the congregation, but really taking that next step into moving into being in community, being in relationship with each other. Because after all, that's the only way we really can exercise our spiritual gifts that God has given us for one another is when we know each other. Um, and so looking to move beyond simply the surface, hello, goodbye, good to see you, and recognition of somebody that attends church with me to actually being somebody that I know and that knows me. So that was the push uh, last week. This week, we're going to close it out by talking about um, the praying church uh, as the, the third and final hallmark uh, that I want to lift up. So we're looking at Acts chapter 12, lengthy verse of scripture. It's going to be uh, verses 1 through 17. I'm reading from the contemporary English version. So if you Google that, Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 17 from the contemporary English version. And I'm going to talk about the praying church. All right, here we go. Verse one says, at that time, King Herod caused terrible suffering for some members of the church. He ordered soldiers to cut off the heads of James, a brother of John. Now, when Herod saw that this pleased the Jewish people, 
He had Peter arrested during the festival of thin bread. He put Peter in jail and ordered four squads of soldiers to guard him. Herod planned to put him on trial in public after the festival. While Peter was being kept in jail, the church never stopped praying to God for him. The night before Peter was to be put on trial, he was asleep and bound by two chains. A soldier was guarding him on each side and two other soldiers were guarding the entrance to the jail. Suddenly, an angel from the Lord appeared and light and light flashed around in the cell. The angel poked Peter in the side and woke him up. Then he said, quick, get up. The chains fell off his hands and the angel said, get dressed and put on your sandals. Peter did what he was told. Then the angel said, now put on your coat and follow me. Peter left with the angel, but he thought everything was only a dream. Almost there. Verse 10 says, they went past the two groups of soldiers, and when they came to the iron gate to the city, it opened by itself. They went out and were going along the street when all at once the angel disappeared. Verse 11, Peter now realized what had happened, and he said, I am certain that the Lord sent his angel to rescue me from Herod and from everything the Jewish leaders planned to do to me. Then Peter went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Many of the Lord's followers had come together there and were praying, almost there. Peter knocked on the gate and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. When she heard Peter's voice, she was too excited to open the gate. She ran back into the house and said that Peter was standing there. You are crazy, everybody told her. But she kept saying that it was Peter. Then they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking until finally they opened the gate. They saw they saw him and were completely amazed. Peter motioned for them to keep quiet. Then he told how the Lord had led him out of jail. He also said, tell James and the others what has happened. After that, he left and went somewhere else. Once again, I want to talk about the praying church. When I was a freshman in high school, I went to summer camp at, uh, at the high school to play football. Now, I was about five foot five and 130 pounds soaking wet. I wanted to be a running back because I had watched the movie of uh, the program where Omar Epps was a running back. And so inspired by that movie and Omar Epps's swag in that movie, that was enough for me to convince myself that I should also be a running back at 130 pounds. So after about a half a day of working out with the running backs, the coaches wisely switched me to kickoff return. I stayed on the football team for a whopping one week before I quit to focus on basketball. The main reason why I did that was this. Football is a full contact sport. And you know, that's very different from basketball. And I realized that as much as I loved basketball, there was a good chance that an injury from football could easily keep me from playing basketball during that school year. The two sports are very different. While basketball was about speed and finesse, football was about hitting and in some cases hurting the opponent. Now, while the stated goal may have simply been to score, the primary thing on those 210-pound defensive linemen's minds was blowing up whoever had that football in their hands. Yeah, it's a full contact sport. Christianity, but being a part of the church or being the church is more like football than basketball. It's a full contact sport. 
That there has always and until the Lord's bind, the Lord binds Satan in the end times, there will always be an enemy who is gunning for us. And while we can operate as if it is a finesse game, in reality, this is a full contact sport and our common enemy, Satan, seeks to destroy us. But the more I think about it, better yet, it is not just a full contact sport. It's actually warfare. You see, sports are fun and games. You shake hands after the game is over, no matter who won. No, in reality, this is something else. This is war. I mean, let's not be cute about it. Satan does not want to play with you. Satan doesn't want to outcompete you. Satan wants to kill you. What wants to kill me, what wants to kill the whole Jesus movement, the whole church. But I heard our Lord say something about this church, this Jesus movement that was coming up. I heard our Lord say upon this rock. I will build my church. And the gates of hell, while it may attack it, while it may confront it, while it may bombard it, it shall not prevail against it. When I graduated high school, I joined the Army National Guard and in basic training down in Fort Jackson, South Carolina, I learned to dig a foxhole. I learned things like how to maneuver through a field with simulated live fire. I learned how to dress a wound in the field. But out of everything that I learned over those eight to nine weeks, most important thing that they taught me in basic training was how to fire the M16. Yeah, all the other skills that they taught me were great, but the most important one was when they taught me how to pick up that weapon, level it, put my target in sights, and fire back at the enemy. So I want to talk to y'all about prayer today. We we know a lot about faith, and, and we have learned a lot of things about faith and other things at City Point or since you have been a part of the church, period. But one of the most important lessons that you will ever need is a lesson that you will receive today. And that is how to fire your weapon. How how to cock it back and let it ride. Today, we're going to talk about prayer. And we'll discover from today's text that prayer is how the church shoots back at the enemy. In Acts chapter 12, it opens up with King Herod Agrippa. It is now approximately 13 years since the church's formation. 13 years since Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected. 13 years since Jesus ascended to heaven after telling his followers that they would receive power after the Holy Ghost came. It is 13 years since that day of Pentecost where 3,000 people have been saved. Jews in Jerusalem have been converted to Christianity, many of them, but then Jews in Jerusalem have also been fighting Christianity. Along comes Herod Agrippa, the grandson of that crazy Herod the Great, who in the beginning, I believe, of Matthew is the one that is having all those babies killed. Along comes Herod Agrippa, his grandson who's just been appointed by the Roman emperor as king over the whole region of Judea. 
Herod is known for being carnal when in the presence of Greeks, but pious when in the presence of Jews. And he was seeking out ways for him to curry some favor and acceptance from the Jews. And so in order to do this, he started having Christians arrested. Luke says in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, that one of them is the apostle James, the brother of John. Verse 2 said that Herod Agrippa had uh, James executed with the sword. And when he saw how much it pleased the Jews, he decided that he would double down and arrest Peter too. So he puts Peter in prison. It's during the Jewish high festivals, so he couldn't try him or execute him until all these festivals are over. So he puts Peter in prison and he doubles the security to ensure that Peter does not escape. The word says in verse four that Herod's intention was to bring him out for a public trial, which was really just going to be a public spectacle before he would finally sentence Peter to death. And he was going to do it as soon as the Passover was over. And so here is the church in a state of trauma. It is likely not safe for Christians in the streets anywhere. Herod is on a rampage. Jews are applauding his rampage. James has been murdered by the government. They cut off his head. And other Christians have been arrested just for being Christians. And now Peter... The leader of the church, that this movement of tens of thousands of people is locked up and facing what looks like to be another execution. The enemy is popping off shots. The, the, the enemy is, is, is shooting at the church, is bussing at the church, trying to destroy the whole movement. My question this morning is, what does the church do? How does the church respond to this threat? It's right there in verse five. It says that the way that they fired back, the, the way that they shot back, the way that they defended themselves was that they prayed. When you look at it, in all honesty, to many of us, it looks like a pretty weak response. It looks like a passive response. But, but let me tell you that prayer is the most powerful response available in the world because prayer uses the power of God to fire back at every negative situation. Yes, prayer six God on our situation. The church community prayed the night before Herod was bringing Peter to trial while the church was praying a miracle happened. An angel broke Peter's chains, led him past the guards out of the prison and out to the streets. And Peter walked to Mark's mama's house where the members of the church community were together praying. Don't miss this. It's at nighttime. It's late enough for Peter to have been sleeping. It's at nighttime. And the church community is together. And they're praying. Peter knocked on the gate. They didn't believe it was him. Peter kept on knocking. They let him in and Peter told them the whole story of how he had been led out of prison by an angel. 
Peter's like, y'all tell the other James and John and the brothers what happened. I'm about to bounce because Herod is about to be looking for me. And we don't end up seeing Peter again for a good handful of chapters. But Peter does leave for us some important lessons as Luke tells this story. He leaves some important lessons for us from the text. The most powerful lesson is that prayer is the church's secret weapon. Yeah, it is that prayer is the most powerful, potent firepower of the people of faith. That prayer is how the church shoots back at the enemy. Ephesians puts it this way. It says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to pull down some strongholds. But prayer is how the church shoots back at the enemy. But before you shoot, you need to understand how to handle the weapon. You need to understand the rules of engagement that we've been given by God as the church. There are lessons on rules of engagement. If you allow me just a few minutes to walk back through this story, we can look at these rules of engagement. The first is that we need to understand our opposition. Uh, When I was growing up, there was this thing that that we would do in the neighborhood. It was called play fighting. Where where, where two people, whether it is slap boxing or whatever you want to call it, wrestling or some other form. And 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 sometimes you you it. It could be so convincing that you begin to ask the question, are they serious or just play fighting? I hate to break it to y'all, but Satan don't play fight. The demons do not play fight. It, it is always for real. And the church understood this, that this was serious business, that these uh, arrests were not just misunderstandings that would be straightened out after the feast. No, they understood that Herod may have been behind this, but that they were fighting actual spiritual opposition. They were fighting the schemes of Satan. And when he plays, he plays for keeps. Peter said in 1 Peter 5 and 8, stay alert. Watch out for the for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Like I said in the introduction, this is not for play. Satan is not engaging us for sport. This is real and his aim is to take us out. I believe that if we understood the seriousness of evil, we understood the depth of our opposition we would also understand the seriousness of prayer. I want you to consider this for a moment. God has mercy. Evil doesn't. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, he ordered soldiers to cut off the head of James, the brother of John. Verse 3 said, when Herod saw that this pleased the Jews, what did he do? He had Peter arrested during the festival of thin bread. So Herod had James's head cut off. Doesn't stop right there. Now he's like, oh, y'all like that? Text says that it pleased the Jews. He decides to go for another round. The appetite of evil is insatiable. His attacks are not just singular. They are affronts to the entire movement. Secondly, the thing that we need to do is aggregate our ammunition. 
So, so make no mistake about it. There is absolutely power in individual prayer. But may I suggest to you that there is exponential power when members of the church come together to pray. Some of y'all do that on Wednesday mornings. And what we see in Acts chapter 12 is that the church came together and they came together to pray in community. Verse 12 says many of the Lord's followers had come together there and were praying. I was confused by this. Why the need to come together to pray? What is the difference between that and people individually praying for Peter? I pondered this. I meditated on this. And I sensed that the Lord gave me this revelation. And it is that it is because you fight an army with an army. That, that, that you go up against Satan and his demonic forces with an army of your own. And when an army fights, the whole is greater than the sum of the individual parts. In Acts chapter 12, instead of individuals firing off their own shots back at the enemy, the army came together. They aggregated their ammunition. They ready aim fire directly at Satan and his demonic forces at Herod at the devilish schemes. They gathered together to pray. In Deuteronomy, we learned about the exponential power that God provides. It says one can chase a thousand, but two can chase away ten thousand. There is power when the mem- when members of the community come together to pray. So I ask you this morning, what schemes of the enemy do we need to come together to pray about? Who is he attacking that is in our midst? Whose mind is under attack? Whose joy is under attack? Whose peace is under attack? Whose faith and belief in the Lord are under attack? The way we load up and attack these is by coming together as a community of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and praying. Don't let this be lost on you. In Acts chapter 12, Herod is going after the leaders of the church. If you want to devastate any movement, you go after the leaders. Come here, Marcus Garvey. Come here, Angela Davis. Come here, Fred Hampton. Come here, Malcolm X. Come here, Martin King, come here, Asada Shakur, come here, Black Lives Matter activists who have illegally been surveilled for the last decade by the FBI. If you want to devastate a movement, you go after the leaders. You want to tear down a local church, you go after their pastor. You want to tear down City Point, you go after me. And that is the reason why I appreciate those that gather together weekly and they pray for our church. And they before they end their prayers, they pray for me. Yes. Uh, There are some weeks when I am, I'll just say this as an aside, when I'm exhausted, I'm empty, I'm feeling the enemy firing shots and somehow or another, The fuel comes back, and I know it's because y'all are praying for me, and I thank y'all for that. 
Let, let, me, let me move this thing along. The last thing that we do is we persist in our petition. Verse 5 says, while Peter was being kept in jail, the church never stopped praying for him. Y'all, it had been days. It had possibly been a week since Peter had been arrested. But people were still praying for him. It suggests this to me. That they prayed and the next day, Peter was still in prison. They prayed. They called on the name of Jesus. And the next day, Peter is still in prison. They prayed. They cried out to God. They laid on the floor. They earnestly prayed. And the next day, Peter was still in prison. You know what I love here? It is that they persisted in prayer. Brothers and sisters, what I've learned about prayer is that even though sometimes you don't hit with the first shot, you keep on firing. Some of you have been praying earnestly for something and God has not done it yet. God has not fixed it yet. Praying for a relationship to get better, but it hasn't. Praying for a job to get better, but it hasn't. Praying for health to get better, but it hasn't. Praying for a break in life, but it doesn't seem like you can get one. What do you do when you've prayed and nothing happens? I want to encourage you to do what the community of believers did in Acts chapter 12. They kept on firing. They kept on firing shots back at the enemy. They kept on in persistence with their prayers so much so that that the night God got busy and dispatched an angel to jailbreak Peter, that the church was together at that very hour in the middle of the night and they were still praying. They persisted in prayer. My brothers and sisters, perhaps God has not done it yet. Perhaps God has not fixed it yet. Perhaps you have not yet received the answer that you have been seeking from God. But I want to encourage you this, mo- this morning to persist in prayer. But they persisted and what they discovered was that although Herod, the king of Judea, was against them, God, the king of kings, was for them. Romans 8 and 31 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Yet they persisted in prayer. And they discovered that though Peter was bound by chains on each hand by God, that God is stronger than those chains. That they persisted in prayer and discovered that though Peter was in prison, God is stronger than than any prison they persisted in prayer and discovered that though Peter was trapped behind the prison gates that God is stronger than any gate and that is a word of encouragement to somebody here today that no matter what chains may be binding you today no matter what prisons cause you to feel trapped today that God is stronger than anything that can bind or trap you Let me close with this. Y'all have heard me uh, give this illustration before when talking about prayer. It is uh, that scene in Harlem Nights. It is that scene when it is quick and he is on the run from um, Arsenio Hall's character's gang. And and, and they think that 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 he is the one that is responsible for killing somebody. And so quick jumps through the uh, 
front storefront window of this place and they are shooting at him. And so as they are shooting at him, they are firing. There is there is always this one guy that has that one little revolver that after they have he's like. And so finally, they, they, they start shooting again. And then he's just that one guy. And so he does this. This happens about three times until finally uh, Arsenio Hall's character takes off his hat. And he slaps the guy and he's like, stop shooting that little mf Beside that being a classic, funny pop culture scene. I think it is also a picture of what it looks, the difference of what it looks like when we, in community, pray. When we aggregate our firepower together, we, we are like Arsenio's character and the others. We are firing heavy rounds at the enemy versus standing out there all by ourselves. That's what it looks like to pray in community. That's what it looks like. That is one of the features of being the church. When we come together, not just to break bread, when we come together, not just to hang out together, but when we come together, not just to play some spades, when we come together, not just to aggregate our funds together to help each other, we also do some of that classic stuff coming together to grab hands, to bow our heads, and to call on the name of Jesus on one another's behalf. That that is a part of what it means to be the church. We've had two years, the pandemic has caused us to have two years of oftentimes isolated living. Working in isolation instead of amongst other people. And sometimes church and isolation streaming together. Isolated from our friends, not able to go out together often. Let me push us that there is something about being a part of a community of people that you can gather together with and pray. Reminds us that we're not in life alone. We're not fighting the good fight of life alone, but that we are fighting it with other people.